0: Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. I'm Charles, your host, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, aka.
1: El Judeo Maravilloso.
0: Aka. (laughs) The 2020 (laughs) LLS Man of the Year. If nobody else is supposed to say it, you are supposed to say it. It's all right. All right. You know who who else is always there when you need them? You know who it is, Maddie. You sure? Captain permit, 516-513-8838. If you need plans, you need permits, you need anything building department, real estate related, the captain's got you. We're doing residential, we're doing commercial, anything from decks, sheds, interior alterations, agents, know before you go. When you list a property, the first call has to be to the captain. The last thing you wanna do is work for six months, sell a house, Everyone thinks you're a rock star. You're about to get paid. Woo, it's go time. And then all of a sudden the title report comes back and it says open permit on the deck. All of a sudden it's an immediate shit show. Your seller's flipping out. They need to close the next week on their dream home. Everyone's cursing, screaming, yelling. Had you called the captain, you wouldn't have this problem. So know before you go, 516-513-8838 if you have a house that smells like cat pee is dated from the 1960s has six inches of mold on the wall human waste floating past the basement steps recently it's been a lot of fleas and raccoon shit um, I want to buy it 516777 sold if you have land for commercial development anything real estate related I am your guy I want to buy it I'm a good time 516777 sold alright so big announcement today a lot of stuff going on um, I have been blessed to be nominated for uh, LLS Twenty Twenty Man of the Year. I'm sitting here with today's guest, who is my rock, my backbone, my LLS support, guiding me, navigating me, steering the ship that is myself, Team Han- and Team Handsome through shark-infested waters to get it done. And the goal is
1: today's guest, five hundred thousand dollars.
0: And before we get into the $500,000, which is an unbelievable amount of money, I have to pay homage and ultimate respect to the man himself, the most well-dressed man <laughs> in the real estate business, Aesop German. And I have to do that for a number of different reasons. A, he's been a mentor. He's been a friend. He was you know, very nice to kind of sit down and tell me and kind of hand me the rule book, which is cool. But more importantly, he has set the bar unbelievably high, meaning... Normally, you would look at something like this and you would say, to raise $50,000 is a lot of money. But when a guy like Aesop comes out and completely shatters the status quo and basically makes the impossible seem possible, it it inspires people like myself, and I'm sure, and and I know he inspired a lot of others to say, you know what, I I can do that. So uh, similar to that gentleman that just... um, broke the two hour mile, two hour marathon. No one's ever done that before. He was the first person in history. Now all of a sudden you're gonna see people shattering that record. So Aesop for that and many other things, I thank you. And I know the women of real estate and the women around the world, thank you. All right, so without further ado, our guest today is a, uh, a truly selfless individual. She's a brilliant business person, organizer, mentor she runs the LLS she's the campaign director excuse me of LLS she had last year's national student
1: national student of the year
0: been with LLS for eight years Megan Doyle Megan spelled M-E-A-G-A-N side note I can't spell and in first grade I couldn't spell and my parents go to the teacher and they're like you can't spell and the teacher says, don't worry, they have spell check. True story. Still can't spell. Welcome. Thank you. Good to see you first, podcast. Yes. Very exciting. Very How exciting. How do you feel? feel great. All right, beautiful. So you you're a local Long Islander or you're not?
1: No, I grew up in the Bronx.
0: Wow. See, this is like the layers now we're going to get into this. Yeah, we haven't yes. known each other that long, and now I get to learn about you with the rest of the world on a public forum.
1: Yeah. Grew up in the Bronx. Did the Yankees win last
0: night? No, right? I, know, I don't have a TV, and I know nothing about sports. Okay. If you want me to be man of the year, I can't afford to be watching TV. <laughs> All
1: right. Fair enough.
0: So, grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. That's obviously history street cred. Yeah. What part of the Bronx? <laughs> uh,
1: Park Chester and Throgs Neck.
0: Okay. And then, you're out here now? Yeah. College?
1: I uh, went to SUNY Albany for a few years and then finished up in Old Westbury.
0: You don't even have, oh, the Post and Bogies. How old are you? Uh,
1: I'm 34.
0: Was Post and Bogies there when you were there?
1: Yes, the uh, Post and Bogies was there. I was
0: about to say this is a very sad moment for me when I've gotten yeah. to the age where nobody knows uh, what that is. The
1: Post was there and Bogies was across the street.
0: I, I just remember them. This was like 20 years ago for me. I'm about to turn 40. I'm staring down the barrel of 40 right now. <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. Post I just remember there.
0: cold grilled cheese, my friend smoking a lot of weed, and that that's all I remember. Okay. Can we say that on this? Not really. No. But... All right, we can edit that out. <laughs> Matt, you got that? Perfect.
1: In
0: any event, Bronx, you don't have a New York accent, which is interesting. Yeah? Yeah.
1: What do you think it is? <sighs>
0: like, if you told me you were like, from North Carolina, you had like a little southern bell in you, I would believe you.
1: Really? The
0: last thing I expected to come out of your mouth was the Bronx.
1: Yeah, the Bronx. I guess the Bronx mixed with Long Island. This is what comes out.
0: I I, I heard it a little bit there. Long (laughs) Island. Yeah, I got it. I heard it a little bit there. All
1: right, I proved that.
0: So Albany, Sunio Westbury, Mm -hmm. 34 years old. You've been working with LLS for the last eight years, so that would put you at 26. What did did you major in college, just out of curiosity? English. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And then what did you do when you got out of college?
1: So I was going to school to become a teacher. Okay. Uh, right around, I guess, 25, I was. Um, and I was the store manager of a Boulder Creek, of a steakhouse okay. in Hicksville. And I was doing all of their staff training, management, was also serving a little bit at that time. Okay. And um, the one I'll by les- IKEA, right? What? The, yeah, one, by the Ikea. one by IKEA? Got it. Actually just closed down a few months ago. Mm mm-hmm. And that was also the time in my life where I fell into Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So I actually was a volunteer of the organization okay. prior to me being an employee of.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, we talked a little off, off offline. You you have, you have were drawn to it because of a personal story that you have?
1: Yeah. So um, it's not a first degree. It's a second degree uh, from... Uh, My best friend, when we were 25 years old, so I guess this is 2009 if I'm doing all my math correct, uh, her father was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he came into the uh, final stages of his disease, where he ultimately passed in 2009. So he'd been living with it, um, I think it was about three to five years on and off, and in his final stages before he passed... He had to have, ultimately, a larger surgery for uh, something that was going on. I think it was a secondary side effect to Mm -hmm. the uh, treatments that he had received. So he uh, went in for surgery. I guess it's actually, if you think about it, the timeline is just about this timeline, where it was in, might have been early October, mid-October and then he passed away on November 20th that year. Wow. Uh, so he went in for the surgery and ultimately he never came home. Um, the surgery was a lot on his lungs mm-hmm. and there was just some decisions that had to be made and you know, you think back of some of the moments that might have impacted me and my passion for all of this, yeah. and those moments definitely you know, come to mind where going to Sloan Kettering with her and wow. um, just being there through it all, uh, you know, you think about the social workers, those angels, so to say, that are there supporting the families where they're going through something that is really, quite frankly, terrible. Um, and I was, I was there through all of that, you know. And then you think about, you know, when ultimately he passed; those moments, and you know, it was a lot. Being 25 years old, her dad was such a big part of her life, and to watch that, you know, uh, firsthand. Um,
0: before, to, before we go into yeah. a little more about you personally, just so people understand, you know, what is LLS, what do they do, who do they service? So, so Leukemia
1: and Lymphoma Society is the largest health organization dedicated to curing the blood cancer. So that's your leukemias, lymphomas, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. And when I reference um, my best friend's father, he had a form of lymphoma. Um, we do that in three key ways, where really we're concentrating on research, so 1.3 billion dollars has gone into research since we were infected in 49. Mm-hmm. And then patient services is a big thing, where these, fam- these people, they get diagnosed with cancer, right? Going along your everyday life, and all of a sudden the bomb is dropped for you. And LLS is there. We want our patients to know we can help them navigate their disease. A big goal of ours is we want to be in front of a patient within 90 days of their diagnosis. That way we can help them with that navigation. You know, and for me, I've seen it firsthand. Now you go back how many, 10 years ago and you bring it to today of how many people I've come in contact with that have been diagnosed with the disease emotionally. Um, What goes on for that patient? How they're supposed to handle this on a daily basis? uh, Going back to work, time off from work, what does that look like? How am I getting from my diagnosis to survivorship? And a big program that we pride ourselves on at the organization is called First Connection. Mm -hmm. So essentially the patient can call us and what we're going to do is go into our national database and find someone that's of a similar demographic, a similar home situation, and match the two patients. So someone on Long Island could be essentially matched with someone in California if we think that it's um, it's going to mesh. And these and these patients and survivors, they can go on to be lifelong friends because they're hearing from someone in their shoes. You know, I always say, like, I've never had cancer. So they can call me, and I can be a sounding ear, and I can listen. But I can't tell you, hey, it happened to me. This is how I dealt with it, and this is what's gonna ha- this this is what's gonna happen from here. And the other huge thing, financially, you know, this is cancer is expensive, right? It's one of the number one reasons that people can go into bankruptcy. And think about it: if your you have your household of five, you know, it's your hus- it's a husband and wife, and one of your children gets sick. And now mom or dad has to stop working to care for the, the child in patient care. You say the household income over time, it can become one where they're used to two incomes coming in. So where can LLS come in and say, hey, we can help with the co-pays or we can help, um, we can help advocate that the pharmaceutical companies can give stipends to these families and we can help navigate and direct them into the right ways.
0: So you, you obviously went through that. Um, you know horrific situation with your best friend and her her father at that were you you volunteering at that point or that kind of empowered you to volunteer or what was kind of the process from there
1: so he passes away in 2009 um, and then it's uh, fast forward probably eight months down the line and we probably we were definitely probably out one night Um, you know I can remember it pretty vividly As far as we're sitting there, and Carrie, she's like, you know, I want to do something to honor his life, you know, like, we can't let his spirit be forgotten, like, let's do something.
0: How old was he when he passed?
1: Uh, he was in his 60s. Uh, so, you know, what do you do? You go on Google, right? When you get home, I don't think at that point your phone could go on Google, right? Ten years ago, I, well, yeah, I think maybe. the phone the phone that I had couldn't, so I had to wait till I got home. <laughs> um, and you go on Google and you put in like lymphoma fundraising, and what pops up? Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So it was really, it was, it was probably was it around, again around this time of year where we were mo- coming into the one year anniversary, maybe. They were having a walk in a few weeks, and I was like, to get a team together, fundraising for this walk, it'd just be too much. We don't have the time to do it. So I was like, all right, what's coming up in a few months from now? We get our our stuff together, we can fundraise, get family, friends. So I came across team and training. So team and training, essentially, is sports endurance athletes that are fundraising and training for some type of endurance event. So it could be a half marathon, full marathon, you could cycle, do a cycle ride, you could hike, whatever it may be. So the team was going down to Disney World in the beginning of January. It was the week after New Year's, and it was, I think, $4,000 to fundraise, and you would compete in it. You would do a half marathon. So, a piece of me thinks that we still were crazy, that we were like, you know what, let's do it. What's the worst that can happen, right? You walk it, you get through it, we'll finish it. It's fine. So, the fundraising was easy. People <laughs> came out. They, we raised, I think, like 10 grand. Nice. We had a fundraiser at a bar. Everyone came family, friends, whole thing. We sent out letters. It was easy. We got off the plane in Walt Disney World, and we were like, yeah, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> 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 so, we did the right thing, though, right? We we did the fundraising. That was what mattered. So, again, you towing the start line, like, never doing something like this. There's, I don't know, 20,000 people at the start line.
0: Have you ever, at this, like, were you training at this point? Had you ever we run before? We probably did,
1: like, a, the most I think at 10K <laughs> the, right. in our training. Okay. Uh, so but we yeah half marathon is
0: not a joke like no it
1: wasn't a joke
0: and you learn once
1: you're done with it you know it wasn't a joke no uh so we do the half marathon we start off together but then she goes ahead and so now you're on your own journey by yourself like for these 13 miles Mm -hmm. so we finally see each other at the finish line and she's like oh my god and I'm like oh my god too but you know what I gotta
0: stop you there for a second. (laughs) So, and this is, this, this says a lot about your character and who you are and just overall motivation. When you're there in the middle of that, it was, was it hot as hell?
1: No, it's January. So at the start line, so you have to, you have to get ready to go to the start line. Okay. you meet the team. So team and training, it's in communities across the country. Yeah. So we went down. It was probably 40 people from Long Island. What right. Now? So we didn't really participate in the trainings leading up to that weekend. But now right. we're there with this group of like-minded individuals, race weekends. And there's a coach that they send down with you. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a meeting time. So the meeting time is, I think it was 2.30 a.m. Because the race starts at 5.30. I was going to say, why?
0: Dear, dear, so the race why.
1: starts at 5.30. Disney World, they have a lot of race weekends, too. I don't know you what run
0: what through Disney?
1: So for the half, you run through Epcot and Magic Kingdom. Nice. And for... That's pretty awesome, though. For the full marathon, you do all four parks. Okay. Okay. So, and they have different race weekends all across uh, the span of the year. They do a Star Wars weekend. This is like their premier weekend, though. They do a 5K, 10K, half, and full marathon. Okay. So, we get down there, and you're, you know, they say the team's going to meet at 2.30. You go over to the start line together, and the start, I guess it starts at 5.30 by the time you're over the start line at 6 a.m. Okay. And on Disney's watch, they want everyone out of the parks. That way, the parks can still open yeah. at whatever time. Yeah. So, you think about it. From their perspective, you got to be done, so that's why it starts so early. And at that time in January, it's probably not terrible. It's probably I don't know, maybe fifty degrees when you get out there at two thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. and then by the time you come over the finish line, the sun's out, and I would say maybe it's sixty-five, 70 day.
0: So at what point during this race? Because it had to be a point during the race where you're just like, "Wow, this is not a joke." Do you remember uh, that moment? Do you remember just being like, "I'm in pain. This is brutal." <laughs> And I still have, like, eight miles to go?
1: No, it wasn't eight miles. It was probably, like, more like five, I think, back. So you start... You know, you're on... You're on the parkways there, right? At like Disney, everyone knows. You're out there on the streets. So you're on the streets for, like, the first four miles, and then you get into Magic Kingdom. It's beautiful. Mickey's there, the castle, the whole thing. Like, what? <laughs> right? And you're you're really – you're distracted. Yeah. So you're coming through. You go through the castle, whole thing, and then, like, you're going through some of the back ways of the parks. So you're seeing behind the scenes. It's, like, kind of a cool perspective. Uh, you're seeing people get into work that morning, and you're like, wow, this is cool. Now you come out of Magic Kingdom, and you're probably at mile, like, eight, and now you're on the parkway for another, like, three miles until you get back to Epcot, and that was when, like, I was like, okay, this is, uh, the sun's now out, I'm a back of the packer, I mean, I really probably shouldn't even be called a runner, I complete it (laughs) as a speed walk, so you're like, alright, this is, uh, this is it.
0: So I'm curious to know, at that moment, and then for the remaining five miles, like, what's going through your head what drives you what gets you across the finish line
1: honestly it's uh you know it was the mission you know we were there for a reason we had raised all that money and there was never going to be a way that i wasn't going to complete it um and for team and training participants they were a purple singlet Mm -hmm. and it has leukemia and lymphoma societies you know um, right now they call it I think a a badge and it's the logo of the of the campaign and you're out there and there's about 500 people that are down there from team and training across the country and on the back of the singlets they call a singlet there's usually why you're running right so is it someone's running in honor of their parents they lose someone someone's a survivor And you start to see all that, right? And you start to see, like, someone's out here because they lost their child. There's someone out here because they themselves went through a cancer diagnosis. So you have these moments of, like, hey, I could do this. It's really not that hard. And that's what makes you put one foot in front of the other.
0: That's dope. What um, I'm curious to know exactly, like, why you do what you do, and then what's the most rewarding part of your job? And if you want, you can kind of cite one or a few kind of just specific cases where you just really impacted somebody above and beyond what you do on a normal day, which is just
1: So amazing. I think that you – so I, I'm a volunteer at this point, right, in 2000. 10 oh. it is, right? It's or year. even like,
0: to ne- I'm saying like at this point being but, an employee.
1: But I have a, there's like a moment of the night before this race, there is an inspiration dinner. And it's a moment where everyone that's come in across the country in to to do some type of race in Disney is there. They call it a pasta party. The night before an endurance yeah. event, you're supposed to have carb- carb carbohydrates, up. the whole thing. And you're sitting there, there's 500... 500 people that are going to take the courses over the next two days, the Saturday and Sunday, as well as parents, friends, family, uh, donors. There's just thousands of people, right? There's 3,000 people in the room. And there's a program and survivors are getting up and they're talking about their experience. And you just have that moment of like, wow, this is a lot bigger than myself. Like I'm doing something grand. Like I'm actually, I'm making an impact. So I always think about that dinner, whereas like that's where I had a moment of like, wow, this feels really good, and there might be something more to this for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You fast forward, now we sign up again uh, to do it the following year. So in total, I've done the half marathon down there four times. I've done a 10K here and there. Um, my good friend who's doing it with me we build out the team my my mom ends up coming doing it one year her cousins like we're our friends are coming down and in totality we probably have 25 people do it with us in the five-year span that we're really team doc is what we called ourselves her father's name was Donald Mm O'Connor um you know we have a bunch of people that are helping us and I think the organization picks up on that. So really, I'm approached when they're hiring the office for a coordinator for the team and training campaign, if I would be interested in working for the organization. So at this time, too, I'm going to school, to be a teacher, and there's like a piece of me of like, "Eh, are you you just doing this? Because everyone's like, oh, you'd be a good teacher. Like, do I feel that heart in it? Like not so much like I'm enjoying it. I'm not like miserable, mm-hmm. but it's I felt like I had more of something else is calling to me here. So when that when that was presented to me, I was like, all right, I gotta look into this a little further. So I look into it. Um, I do go on to apply, and I am hired. And that's kind of where my journey with the organization begins. So I come in and I work for team and training. So I start to manage these fundraisers that are going down to Disney and other endurance sports Mm -hmm. across the year. Uh, And then I also get my hands in a little bit of our black tie event. I'm helping with um, major gifts. People are giving outright to the organization. And then I guess in year three or four, I start to help out with the Man Woman of the Year campaign. Uh, so I'm helping to manage some of the candidates, helping them raise thousands of dollars, right? Higher level fundraising. Uh, so I guess it's about three years ago that I make a full transition where I oversee the Man, Woman of the Year campaign. Um, around that time, too, the organization introduces a campaign called Students of the Year, so um, I love our Man Woman of the Year candidates, but our students, they're high school students that are taking this on too, and they're fundraising at amazing levels as well. Uh, when you introduced me, you said about we had the National Students of the Year last year, so these kids, they're from Jericho, they raised more than any kids across the country, and they raised $277,000. That's amazing. Um, I
0: also find the an interesting parallel between you were originally going to be a teacher, and then your ultimate calling was... You child to work with LLS and now you're kind of like meshing the two together It's funny you say that
1: um, because I did have that interest right, to be a teacher and like I said I was enjoying it but was I loving it? No and there's a little bit of a difference in that for me but I am getting a piece of that out now of where I'm interacting with these kids and it's amazing you're shaping these kids are going to cure cancer they're going to be our future philanthropists and some of them, they come into this program, right, and they're like, college, how, how hard is it to get into college these days? And they're looking at their college resumes, and it's so competitive. So they're coming in with sometimes that's their motivation. But fast forward, their seven-week campaign and all the planning and the awareness they spread, they come out and they understand what it means to give back. They understand who the organization is, and you're literally seeing them change as people. And yeah. how incredible is that?
0: So yeah, there's a couple of questions that, that pop into mind. I mean, a so you, I mean, you were very young working in the restaurant business. Get into you're working with LLS, and you're you're coordinating and running and managing events. Was there was there any kind of training, or is this something that you just innately knew how to do? Because you're like you're very smart, you're very organized. I don't know you very well, but like I can you know right away you pick up on these things. Yeah. So I'm just curious to know like where that came from.
1: There, it's definitely something innate as far as you know, connecting the dots, being empathetic, um, working with these fundraisers to a higher level. But there's also training that goes in, that's involved with it too, um, and corporate support. We get donations on higher levels, and the support and partnership that I've always gotten from my executive director, my supervisors, like that has been something that has really shaped me into the employee that I've become. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, you know, time management and and things of that nature, you know, it didn't always come easy to me, so there was some things that I had to work on, I guess, in my organization skills and putting structure into things, uh, but as far as, um, as far as fundraising, yeah, that was pretty innate. And when you love what you do, you know, these volunteers like you yourself, Charles, you'll end up driving me. We're a a staff-led organization, but we're volunteer-driven. And it's your passion and of the volunteers that come into the organization that want to do something so grand. And we're able to follow that, get creative, and able to do incredible things. No day is ever the same for me. Never. I'm sure. Because no volunteer of the organization, no person is created the same. You know, we talk about Man Woman of the Year where you're a candidate, there's 20 candidates that will come into this campaign and each of you will operate differently. Each of you will have your own personal best that you're looking to achieve. You'll have your own worlds, your sphere of influences, and your networks. And to me, it's like a a new blank slate is here. And what can we do that will be incredible for that person? And everyone will measure it differently and everyone will be able to do it differently.
0: See, I'm curious to know like what really lights your fire. Like I feel the passion, like I need to be around passionate people. It's like what I feed off of. And I feel it kind of like roaring at me over the microphone from you, which is amazing. But it's like, you know, for me it's, and it can't be, you know really about money or this or that, just in the world in general. Like for me, I do what I do because I like to create things. I like to help people. I like to to push myself and see, can I do something in the hardest place it is to do something, which, in my opinion, is New York. So for you to be operating on the level that you are and where you've taken um, you know the campaign director position and the man, woman, and student of the year over the last three years since you've been in there,
1: yeah,
0: what what drives you? Like, what gets you up every day where you're just like,
1: it's the people. It's the people. And it's it's those that are fundraising and partnering with us. But then it's also, too, like every day you're reminded as to why you're doing this, right? There's not a day that myself or one of my colleagues is hearing from someone that has been impacted profoundly, um, you know, who's passed away. We've been working with them for seven years. And now that volunteer uh. has ultimately succumbed to their disease or who are we finding out is going into survivorship, or who is calling because financially they're struggling, they're they're struggling and they need help. And what are we going to do for us to help them? So you know, I start my day usually right now. I'm concentrating on mostly. I have a couple of student of the year teams and I have some man woman of the year teams. So that's that's my first reference, right? Every day you start. What well, who's on my list today? Do I have to Touch base with anyone, how are we moving the ball forward in their fundraising? Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, it grounds you as far as what can be happening also with someone that is going through this diagnosis. Um, you know, I hope she won't mind that I'll speak of her. I'm sure she wouldn't. But someone that I met, probably I was working for the organization about two years. Her name um, is Mary Jane Riley. Uh, she's a mother of three. And she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So multiple myeloma is one of the blood cancers that you, you're not considered cured. You go into an indolent response to your uh, disease. So really what that means is the cancer stays at bay. So it's not active in the body. You still have myeloma, yeah. but it's not um, mutating, and it, it's you're not in active treatment. Really, do you,
0: but do you have to constantly be taking medication to.
1: So that's so that's what I'll get to here. Is so I meet Mary Jane. She's in an, she's in a response, and got I don't know. Three years later, she falls out of her response, and she has to receive a stem cell transplant. And her stem cell transplant is had, and then she goes back into the indolent response. But the thing for me is that through Mary, I guess she's had now myeloma for six years. Sometimes she, when she looks like she might fall out of a response, the doc, the oncologist, are are changing her cocktail. Mm-hmm. So are they adding in a new drug? Or are they taking a drug out? What is looking for? What's what's her cocktail looking like at any moment? And it's happened with her and it's happened with many patients where because LLS has funded a new drug, that drug was on the shelf and now she's able, when the cocktail needs to be changed, it's available for her. That's awesome. So, and you see that with many of our patients. So that drives me too. We're seeing that we're we're helping people right here, right now. You're
0: really changing people's lives, like literally saving people's lives. Right. So I wanted to, so the thing that... I've been around a a lot of not-for-profits, and the thing that is even, you know, aside from the mission and what you guys do, as a business person, truly amazing about LLS is the structure in which you run things, the people that work within the organization, and just, it allows you guys to be extremely effective, stretch every dollar, and really help as many people as humanly possible. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's just... It's brilliantly designed. In my opinion, every everything in life should be run similar to a business, whether it's government, not for profit, for profit business. Can you just kind of speak on, you know, the structure of how you guys run, the way you do your job? I mean, it's just it's amazing to watch. It's like a machine.
1: So for our chapter specifically, and we always get. Um... Other chapters will always say to us, like, you guys are so teamwork-oriented, the way that you collaborate. It's just, it's wonderful. And some of my colleagues that I've worked with for a long time, that is how we operate. So we're very collaborative in the sense of, okay, this person's fundraising for you, that's okay. Like, it's not gonna take away from me. Or we wanna be on the same page about things. Long Island's very small, so some of the same banks might be sponsors of multiple campaigns. So we always have to be in constant contact in that respect. But the bigger thing is is hey, we're nonprofit, right? So the resource can sometimes be a little slimmer. And if we're having a, a bang up year in one of our campaigns, we need to look at the chapter on a whole and say, should we move some resource from one campaign to the other? Should some staff be helping out? And we have to constantly communicate that because in our eyes, what's number one is the experience of our candidates, of our fundraisers, of our walk of the people that are walking in our awareness walk. So to feel that support and to feel that you can have that 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 teamwork within who I work with, it's just something that's incredible. So
0: I want you to kind of talk about the last I'm curious to know about the last three years. When you came on, you know, as campaign director, running student, man, woman of the year, it was, you know, in a different place than it is now. Mm-hmm. So how did you grow it, cultivate it, motivate? you know continue to build your team to transform it to what it was to what it is in in a short period of time
1: so students of the year was brand new for the organization really uh so it had happened in our chapter once and then i was managing it it was year two and now we're going into our fourth year so um a lot of growing pains um with of the year just as far as uh, students of the year understanding the management of students, managing of the parents, like how does this work? How do they mesh it into their lives? Like, right, like uh, sports, SATs, looking at academic calendars, like this was all new to us of how we're used to working with our constituent base, it's adults, right, that's our population. So now we gotta put on our high school minds. I gotta learn what Google Docs is, I gotta know what WhatsApp is, I gotta know, I gotta know Instagram. They have a text language. You're talking about social media before, or not social media texting before, and yeah. you always are talking your texts. Yeah, you saw what some of these kids were doing. <laughs> like, I, it was another code for me to learn. <laughs>
0: and
1: and it, you know, and you also too, you don't want to go back at them every time and be like, what do you mean? Um, there's a. They're
0: <laughs> like, oh, Megan's not cool. Right. Know.
1: They they put symbols. <laughs> I was like, what is this? You know, I'm googling it. It's not coming up. <laughs> so that that is something that that happens, and you know, it's it's fun to learn what's cool to them too, right? But- So, um, so that campaign, and then we also need to learn our market, like Mm -hmm. what makes sense out here? How are we finding our students of the year? Is it volunteers that are helping us? You know, in year one of the campaign, year two, we need a lead base, we need to prospect. How does this, how does this come to us? And obviously, from a national level, we're getting guidance from what's working in other chapters, but we got to figure out what's working here on Long Island.
0: Especially because New York, I feel like, is like another planet.
1: Oh, yeah. In every
0: aspect I talked to
1: my counterpart in New York City and how high schools work in New York City versus how it works out here with the districts. It's like all the high schools are standalone. It's just completely different. Um, So... And then that's part of it, too. We got to learn how to work with the districts, yeah. right? Are the principals supportive? Are the superintendent supportive? What does that look like? As well as there is there opportunity for us to get into these to get to students by speaking to guidance counselors. It's very competitive on Long Island for college for kids to get into college. Like they're very in tune to their applications, the processes, and the schools that they want to go to. Um, you know, I find too like some of the kids they're they're done sports their whole life, but they need someone to they need something to round them out. Yeah. So these pro- programs like Student of the Year can help do that. Um. So we we start off year one. I guess we raised. Year one, we probably raised one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Then we doubled it to three hundred thirty-seven. Last year, we were over six, and wow. this year we're still in our recruitment phase. But always, our hope is is that we can outdo a bit of what we did the year prior. Yeah. So it's kind of too soon to tell. As well as these campaigns are confidential, man, woman, and students of the year. So I never would give away too much until we were post campaign. Um, but we're, you know, it, it's something that we're seeing growth and, and kids are carrying their legacy year to year, too, where they want to remain involved. Yeah. So they actually are participating annually in the campaigns. Very cool. Uh, and that's something to me, too, that when you think about what motivates you, these high school students, they're, they're amazing. Uh, and I was just actually texting with one yesterday that I worked with her the past two years, now she's uh, off at college at Philly she's checking in telling me about her course load, she's playing lacrosse and it's you know you feel almost as a mentor to these yeah. kids and they're and they're checking back in with you
0: the um, I guess the number one question I get from people in mostly in regards to real estate because that's what I do yeah. obviously is you know how do you get started way do you start I think for a lot of people just in life and business in general it's about taking the first step
1: mm-hmm.
0: so when you came into a position, like campaign director and you now like it, it did it seem very overwhelming at the at the time because for, j- just from just for me on the outside looking in seeing what you've done it seems to be very overwhelming then it's like you know what how do i organize this how do i take the step first step because i would argue that what you did to build what you've built with your team can relate to every business every industry every not-for-profit so i mean you been very successful in a short period of time, Like, how do you attack something like that from day one?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, what I'm doing is very similar. <laughs> to,
0: very
1: many? Is very similar to the for-profit world in anything, right? We're all trying to build a book of business for the most part, right? We're lead generation, we're looking for pipeline development, and that is something that although you're successful in the moment, you can't take your foot you off the me. pedal. No. You need to, and you, I don't know if that's even the perfect analogy, it's more so you can never stop thinking of your vision. Like what, yes, you're very successful now, but what are you doing next? Mm. And you need to be creating relationships, you need to be talking about people, you need to be talking to people about the future, and you need to be engaging of what's to come. Because what's to come is here before you know it. Uh, and things that we put into place to make sure that that happens is we're having, we're always brainstorming with our other campaigns and we're, we're look, we're working with our committees. Who do you know in the community? Who would be good for us to meet? You know, to one of my colleagues told me once, like, it doesn't happen when you're sitting at your desk. The more I'm sitting at my desk, the more I'm like, Hmm, what am I really doing this week? You got to be out in the field, out in the community, meeting with people because people want to help. And I see it all the time. Like some people think it's hard to ask for money. Some people think it's hard to find fundraisers. But people want to be invited to take on helping a good cause like Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Like you're a prime example, Charles, right? Like Beth asked you to do this and you accepted. So you were someone that was in her sphere of influence in the community That was so to say, waiting for an invitation, where you were like, "Yes, I will make this commitment," and you mentioned ASAP German when we sit down, when we when you started this, and like he's a prime example of that too, where this was not on his radar that he was going to make some big impact for a a charitable organization. And I hope he's okay with me saying that, but he had someone ask him, "Hey, you want to go to breakfast and learn about leukemia and lymphoma society?" And through that, fast forward eight months, four hundred sixty thousand dollars is raised. So that to me is incredible in itself as well. And I think that that's the relatability between what I'm doing and what others can be doing is that you want to be out there, you want to be having conversations, you want to be building what you're doing. And I also find too is some of those conversations in the moment, like also too, you could have said no, right? But it doesn't mean because you said no to helping us right now that I should forget about Charles because who knows what's going to happen down the line, who you might be able to provide an introduction to. And at the end of the day, anyone that I educate about what Leukemia and Lymphoma Society does, they're going to be now an expert on the organization in the sense of if anyone in their world gets diagnosed with a blood cancer, they're going to make a referral to our organization. And at the end of the day, our biggest agenda item is cures. So we're going to help that patient. So it's always a win-win in my book. You know, I, I, we have a joke in the office that no's are okay, right? When I, I work primarily on campaigns where there's official nominations made of these students and of Man-Women of the Year candidates, and not everyone says yes. One out of five people are saying yes on the man-woman side, and one out of three are saying yes in the Student of the Year side. But I have to celebrate those no's. Because again, I go back to who knows what's gonna happen down the line and how they're gonna help me in the future. So you have to treat everyone at the same level. Also, too, with these campaigns, I got people that raise $25,000 and I got people that raise half a million dollars. But to me, they're all equals as well because who knows what that person's gonna help you do next. And who knows what they're going to come into in their life 10 years from now. And they could be the next million-dollar gift to the organization and impacting research in a huge way. So you have to make sure that you're giving, I hate to say customer service, but I'm going to say customer service to everyone that you're working with because you never know.
0: So um, before off-air, we were talking about how – I was saying how I only feel comfortable operating in, in, like, extreme chaos, but, like, if you look at me, you're like, this guy's, like, out of his mind, and you agreed that you feel the same way, but you're, like, very zen appearing to the outside world. I'm curious to know, since you're operating on such a high level and going so, like, seems like you're
1: Mm
0: 24-7, um, how do you decompress? It's,
1: I have, like, an on and off. When I'm on, I'm on, but when I'm off, I'm off.
0: You have that gift where you could do
1: that? yeah. Like, wow. um, I
0: wish I could do that,
1: and also, too, you do, <laughs> we've only known each other a short period of time, but even when I'm working with my candidates, it does become not that it's 24 seven, but it's a little constant. Like I have some yeah. fundraisers I work with, they're morning people, I have some people they're evening. And you, this is volunteerism, right? You're taking this on outside of everything else already on your plate. So it's important that we have some sense of flexibility. But there are gonna be times where I'm gonna have to say, like Charles, like I have something going on, or I'm gonna be out of pocket for a little bit. And I like to be transparent with that. That way you know I'm gonna be unaccessible and perhaps we're gonna have a conversation prior to mm-hmm. me being on, unavailable, uh, and I can do it. It's, you, can it's, you
0: I, shut your mind off like that? Like, can you like? Are you yeah. when you're in the middle of the campaign? And you're like, oh, I'm going away for the weekend or whatever because I need a minute. Are you not dreaming about like what needs to get done? You can. Yeah. That's a
1: blessing. You, I
0: have, right? I, dude, I've, in a, I would kill for that. Listen,
1: I'm not doing it every weekend either, but I have to. If yeah, I of don't. Course. You know, I've gotten to the point where I, I know when the burn is coming, right? Yeah. The burnout. Like, everyone gets it. You know, is sometimes it's a six-week cycle. Sometimes I go six months, it doesn't come. But you feel it. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I need a reset. Because if I don't do the reset, then who am I helping? I'm not helping myself. I'm not helping anyone around me. So you'd rather not have me available for three days, and then when I come back, I'm better than I was. So it's you know, the on off has become very it's it's something I have to do. I um and I will too. I'll take the calendar out of my phone, I'll take the emails off my phone because I right? You're saying it's hard to to turn off. If it's there, you're gonna do it.
0: I listen, I, I, I I get it. No, I totally I totally get it. I um I wanna close out with um one last question. I um I think, again, we haven't known each other that long. I, I think you're brilliant. And Thank I think you. that you can accomplish pretty much, I mean, anything you want. And you're organized, and you're like, you're perfect. You're what every organization, regardless of if that's profit or not for profit, wants. Um, what is, what is, your, very young, what does your future look like?
1: Hmm. Uh, you know, it's a question that I I ask myself often too. Um, but for right now, it's it's where I am. I'm in the I'm in the right place. And you know, as cliche as it could sometimes sound, is right like a job. You're you're doing your job more than you're doing anything else. Yeah. And when you go to work and it doesn't feel like a job, it's a pretty cool thing. And that's how I commonly feel that I'm not at work. And even on my bad days, right? Everyone has your bad days. Even though I work a nonprofit, I'm doing something so rewarding. Like I'm still human. You still have a bad day, but the next day it's different, and uh, and really even the bad days they're not that bad. So, and I think I you know when you work in when you work somewhere like leukemia and lymphoma Society, you're always reminded that it's it's actually what's going on right now for you. Whether it's you got stuck in traffic, you were five minutes late for the meeting, you didn't get to prep in the way you wanted to, whatever it may be. I'm not at home trying to fight for my life because I have a form of cancer so at the end of the day it truly grounds you in what you do each day
0: yeah don't um, it teaches you not to uh, sweat the small stuff
1: right and it's sometimes hard sometimes it's hard to do right like you're going about your day and what happens but you're you're reminded like hey you know what you're going through a bad moment but tomorrow you're going to wake up it's a fresh new day and it's a fresh new start
0: um. thank you very much for coming this is awesome Thanks I really appreciate me. it I mean I learned a ton I'm inspired I think the two biggest things I mean maybe three biggest things I've, I've taken out of this are take massive action do what you're passionate about and don't uh, don't sweat the small stuff yeah. Maddie you know who else doesn't sweat the small stuff or allows you not to sweat the small stuff in the permit world Captain Permit 516 513 8838. If you have a house that stinks like cat pee, you know I'm the guy, you smell pee, you think of me. 516-777-SOLD. Megan, I love you. It's amazing. I'm so happy and blessed to be working with you. How do people get in touch with you, I'll learn more about LLS, how they can get involved in the different campaigns if they want to volunteer, etc.
1: So right now, if they want to get involved, I'd love them to call Handsome and, make, and set themselves up to make a donation to his campaign. But if they wanted to get in touch with me otherwise, any patient services, etc., you can call me at 631-370-7552.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: That's a wrap.